0: Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with His Word. This season, we are going through the book of Romans, and today's episode is Romans chapter 8, Pete and Repeat. Well, I want to say hi. And if you have made it this far into the journey, just pat yourself on the back. You are doing so good because this book can be difficult. And I'm so glad that you're sticking with this. I named this Pete and Repeat because this is basically what Paul has been saying over and over and over again for the past seven chapters. In fact, this chapter crowns the first half of the book of Romans. So he's really just trying to communicate something to these people. In many different ways because they are hard-headed, but it's not just them that's hard-headed. What I see as I read the Bible is that we are all the same and we all struggle with the same things. And I have told my team this from the beginning of Romans that the way I see this Christian walk is like a seesaw. And not a seesaw where there's somebody on both ends. Just picture you're going out to a seesaw and you're going to try to make it parallel to the ground. So you have to get in the middle, right? But if you take your eyes off of what you're doing and really work at being in the middle, you can veer to the left and bring the whole thing off balance. And the left would be you taking grace for granted and and living um, a life out of your flesh, And it doesn't take much to get that off balance. But then if you get back in the middle and get situated and start thinking, I've got this. I can do it. Then you're moving in your own mind. And that is leaning to the right. And that is where you enter into self-righteousness. And it doesn't take much. And so we really need Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us find that true center. Because it's only in that true center that we look like Christ. And that is a sweet smelling aroma to him. And it is something that's attractive to the world. Now, this is my second time to do this lesson. I um, am posting this late because I did the whole thing and thought, you know what? I think I made sense of this. Not in my own might, but I was like pretty excited. I would prayed really hard and felt like the Holy Spirit was leading, guiding me. And I got to the end and it wouldn't stop recording. (laughs) And I hit stop a million times. And finally, I just had to like swipe off of it and it didn't save anything. So... We are at it again, and I feel like I'm going to be Pete and repeat. Well, We're going to start off at the beginning of chapter 8. My prayer, one of my deepest prayers for this lesson, is that this is not head knowledge. We are going to talk about this, and so there will be head knowledge, but my prayer is that the Holy Spirit moves it from our head into our heart, and it really resonates, and we really have that, aha, I am getting this. So we start off where Paul is saying, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're going to stop right there, because in these two verses, there's so much to unpack. So he has been talking for seven chapters about what Christ did on the cross. And he's saying, because of that, therefore, there is no condemnation. This word condemnation is from the Greek word katakrima, and I probably butchered that, but it's K-A-T-A-K-R-I-M-A. And it's our, um, it means that our standard has been transformed, that our charge has been moved to not guilty. Um, we will not experience condemning because Christ suffered... As a substitute for us, and we are eternally secure for this. So there's no condemnation. So once we are saved and we've submitted to Jesus as our Lord, you know, we are going to do things His way through the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we're going to live a perfect life. So when we do mess up, And we repent and we get back on track because that's what the word repent means. It means to turn around and go into a different direction. So when we repent and we're going back in the right direction, we don't have to live with this shame and this guilt and this condemnation because our past, present, and future sins were nailed to that cross. And Christ died for all of them. And we are in right standing. Again, this is the millionth time that Paul has told us this. And it says that there's no condemnations for those that are in Christ Jesus. Well, how do we get in Christ Jesus? This is a spiritual union that happens at salvation. And the union exists between us and Christ. We are in Christ by our faith. That's how we get there. Faith. He is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, because of the Spirit's law of life, Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We talked about these two laws in the last chapter. The law of life, he worded it in chapter 7 verse 6 as the new way of the spirit. And the law of sin and death last chapter was called the old letter of the law. So now because of Jesus in the spirit's law of life, we, Jesus Christ has set us free. This law of life is still the law. However, now it's in its properly apprehended place by the Holy Spirit in believers. It's now properly, I'm going to say that again, it is properly apprehended by the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. It's in its proper place with its proper power through the Holy Spirit. This law of sin and death was that Mosaic law, but it was improperly understood and perverted by our sin nature into a legalistic system of earning God's approval by our own works. We no longer have to do that. All we have to do is submit to Christ and let the Holy Spirit do the work. But that means that there's a little bit of work on our part, not to earn our salvation, but to become, for our flesh to become submitted to Christ. Okay, verse 3 says, What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh, like ours, under sin's domain as a sin offering. The written words given to Moses did not, and it never had the power to make our flesh cooperate. That's our old nature. And the law was not, that was not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show us that we have an old nature that doesn't measure up. But it never could give us the power to bring that old nature into submission. So God condemns sin by becoming flesh, resisting sin's temptation, and becoming the perfect sinless sacrifice. So in your face, sin, Um, he did all the work for us. Verse four goes on and says the law's requirement, the law's requirement. So think of that. The law that was given to Moses, but now is the, the um, how was it worded? The new way of the spirit or the spirit's law of life. The requirement is accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit for those who work walk according to the spirit. So this law, what the law requires is accomplished in us, but not by us. And it is, only accomplished in those that walk according to the spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means that we walk in submission to Christ. Does that mean that we do it a perfect perfect every time? No. We are going to fall, but that means even when we fall, we get up, we dust ourselves off, we repent and we move in that new direction. So walking in the flesh means having your life determined and directed by the values of this world, and many of us do this. And I took a very eye-opening class in college called Christian Ethics, and the whole point of the class was to show us that we are usually ruled by the world's view, and it was to teach us to have a biblical worldview. Now, all of us were Bible college students, so we thought, you know, oh, no, we've got that. We want to live by biblical worldview, and we do. Well, he showed us how difficult this is by every week having a different controversial topic brought up, and he would want us to solve it by debate, but there was a catch. You could only debate it using scripture to prove your point. Well, immediately you would have a side that you were on because you thought, oh, well, this is just natural reason, and this is how God would want, you know, this is how God would view this appropriately. But then whenever you started searching the scriptures, sometimes it would be very hard to find a scripture to line up with proving your point. Because what we were viewing this through the world system, the world has so much influence on us because we are indoctrinated from the time we wake up until the time we go down with opposing worldviews from Christ. I mean, it comes in through media, through the news. Through music, through other people's mindset, through education. We are constantly told how to believe and what to believe, and it can sound good, but good is not holy all the time. And so, this class would teach us how to go in and really dig into God's word, even if you thought that you knew it. And a lot of times, At the end of the debate, I would find myself on a completely different side because I was learning how to look at this through the lens of a biblical worldview. Um, Spurgeon said, now the flesh is still warring, striving, vexing, and grieving, and will be there until we are taken to heaven. I thought this was so interesting because in the past um, chapters, we were talking about how the flesh is, um, that old nature is dead because of Christ's work on the cross, what that really means is his power over us is dead. He is still there and he is going to try to wreak havoc on us and we have to constantly submit to God's way. He has no more power over us. His power is dead. Remember, share his blog, you are dead to me, but we have to put him, we have to tell him that and put him in his proper place because he is gonna come up fighting and he is going to try to get us to live in a way that we want to live, that our flesh wants to live and not according to the spirit. So verses five through eight, I'm just gonna read them real quick. Um, It says here, let's see, verses five, here we go. For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, about the things of the spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So a couple of things are happening here. One is that This is something that we have to be intentional about is having a mindset in the spirit. This word mindset doesn't necessarily refer to the mental process, but to the general direction of the will. This is just kind of something that naturally happens. Do you have a mindset of the flesh or the spirit? It's just kind of that natural direction that you go in. And this spirit, the word spirit here that was mentioned over and over and over again, Um, Dr. Constable says that in verse 2, he points out, in verse 2, Paul is introducing the Spirit as the Holy Spirit. And in every sense of the word here, it is capitalized. And since it's introduced as the Holy Spirit, we need to note that when he uses the word Spirit here, he is talking about the Holy Spirit as opposed to our spirit in our mind, soul, and spirit. So I think that that was just an interesting thing to point out. Paul gives us a way to determine whether we are walking in the flesh or the spirit, and it's to look at where our mind is set. Philippians 4, 8 says to think on these things, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. When we are checking ourselves, are those the things that we are leaning towards? Are those the things that we're thinking about? Or are there things like jealousy and envy and complaining and gossip and the like. If it doesn't fall into these pure noble categories, then we should repent, adjust and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. In fact, another place in Scripture, Paul says, to take every thought captive. So that is an action that we have to take as believers. When we have this thought, maybe somebody hurt you really bad and you're just mulling over what happened and you're thinking of all the things, um, you know, you become critical of them. What you have to do right then and there is to take that thought captive. Even I I speak things out loud because there's power in our words And I will speak things out loud. Oh, no, no, no. We're not going to go there. And then we have the the Holy Spirit in us, which part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So you have self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit to take that thought captive. And you need to start speaking things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy in its place. Then the next verses, starting 9 through 11, Paul is going to exhort these believers. He's going to speak life to them. He says, you, however, are not these people. You do not walk in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Holy Spirit lives in you. And I think we all need that. Somebody that just puts us in our place and say, hey, we're not going to do this. We are going to be people of the Spirit, and this is how we're going to walk. Um, And then... Um, He tells us in verse 10 that the Spirit is life. It raised Jesus from the dead, and it will bring our mortal bodies to life. The Holy Spirit comes in, and it begins transforming us, and we begin to look like him. This is nothing new. This is what he's been saying over and over and over again. But remember, we are stubborn, and we need to hear this over and over and over to get it. Then in verse 12 he says we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh if you do you will die but if you live by the spirit you put the death you put to death the old man and you will live again we need to hear this over and over and over the the dead flesh still lives in us And it isn't removed until we receive our glorified bodies. So for now, we have to choose to walk in the spirit. We actively pursue it. God commands us to do this. And we'll experience victory because the Holy Spirit is in us. And he's the daddy of all spirits. His spirit comes into our spirit. In the Jewish New Testament commentary on page 382, it says, Unless you, the believer, continually and actively by the power of the Holy Spirit put to death your body's bad habits to which you've become accustomed and conditioned by your old nature, these bad habits will certainly find expression, so that you will surely die. Our old nature will want to. Lean on greed, envy, jealousy, hate, sexual sins, and that will lead to poor mental health and so many other problems. Even though you physically live inside, you are slowly dying. But if we walk in the spirit, there is fullness of life, and this includes psychological and social wholeness. And then the section 14 through 17 is something that I think that we need to write down, put in notes, put on your mirror, and declare this out loud. If you want to do a daily declaration, this is the one to do it. It says that we are all, um, all that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, this was in the Old Testament, um, what the children of Israel were referred to as God's sons. But he's saying here, all. People who are led by the spirit are God's sons. We can tra- um, we can translate, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? We can substitute daughter, if you will, if that'll make you more comfortable. We are daughters, or sons of God, that is a powerful statement. He goes on to say that we don't receive the spirit of slavery, but one of adoption, where we can say "Abba, Father." In the ancient world, adoption was a very positive um, thing. That those adopted children received first-class sonship, and they became—they um, had all the legal rights. An, um, to be an heir of the family. They got all the things that the biological child got. And so, this was a very positive thing that these people would have been seeing that they become adopted and they have access to the father, where that word Abba, father, is more of an intimate term like daddy. You can run into his arms and he is your daddy. His spirit testifies with our spirit so that we are God's children. Also, Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That, again, is a huge statement. We are God's children. We are his heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ will inherit, we now have the right to also inherit. And then it goes into saying that we also suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. This glorification is part of the restoration of all things from the garden. God has been working behind the scenes to restore it all. And what the author is saying here is that we might suffer now and we will suffer with him, but it doesn't even compare to the glorification that we are going to receive. God is a he is a character shaper. He is in the business of making us look more like him and he's shaping our character all the while. And the primary vehicle that he uses is suffering. He doesn't cause it, but he uses it to restore everything. Something that I was just thinking about as I was sitting in this is that Jesus combats sin and broken brokenness with suffering. Where does suffering come? Well, suffering comes from Satan. It's his plan to destroy us. But God uses his very plan And he uses it for good, and that's what he uses to make us new. He uses all things. He works all things together for good, for those that love him. So we will suffer, and he's talked about this before in Romans, that that will produce in us endurance and hope. Well, then he goes on to, from verses 18 through 20 something, and he says that our sufferings don't even compare to the glory. I think I mentioned that before. We have something to look forward to and the best is yet to come. Creation will eagerly await, um, well, it says creation eagerly awaits with anticipation God's son to be revealed. Creation is awaiting Jesus's return at the restoration of all things. And I love how it is worded here. He it eagerly awaits with anticipation, and so should we. Creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption. It fell under the curse of sin too. And I honestly think if this is broken creation, if you go to the Grand Canyon, or if you go to the Caribbean, some of the most beautiful places in the world, and look out and think, if this is under the curse of sin, what will the new heavens and new earth be under the... the and during the um, the restoration of all things, uh, my eyes are getting ahead of me. But I just can't help but imagine what the restored earth will look like creation has been groaning with labor pains. You know, whenever you go to the hospital and you're about to have a baby and you have these labor pains, they're the worst things on planet earth. And I only was dilated to a one before they went in and surgically removed my kids, but it was awful. But you endure it because you know that there's a new creation coming and it's gonna be so worth it. And that is what creation is doing right now. It's been groaning with labor pains because there is a new birthing that is coming and it will be worth it all, worth it all. In verse 26 he says that in our weakness like in all of these sufferings where there's times where we don't know what to pray for and the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And I think that that is such a sweet sweet thing to sit in for just a moment. And, you know, for some of you, it's going to be your heavenly language. Um, That is something that is talked about in Acts. There is a separate baptism from water baptism. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's evidence of speaking in tongues, but for other people that haven't received that gift, the Holy Spirit is still inside of you praying and groaning on behalf of what you need. And I love that when while we were sitting at the study table, and I have all ages sitting at this table studying with me, one of the young adults just said that for her, it's sitting still in the silence. And that is where she can just literally feel and experience God's peace. And that's where she knows that the Holy Spirit is interceding on her behalf. So that's one of her favorite things to do when she doesn't know what else to do. She just sits in the silence and thanks God for, for the prayers. Then it goes on to verse 28, and this is a famous verse that we've all memorized, but this is the culmination of everything we've been talking about. We know that all things work together for good for those that love God, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, this is what we're talking about in the sufferings of this broken world. In tragedy, brokenness, suffering, God uses all things to work together for good. He's making us look more like him, and in these sufferings, it is actually the vehicle for shaping our character. So then he goes into verse 29 and 30, and I want to read that. And there has been so much debate over what this means. And it says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And he also predestined and those he predestined, he also called; and those he called, he justified; and those he justified, he glorified. So there's a progression of things mentioned here. Um, it, there's for new, predestined, called, justification, and glorified. Well, this word for new, if you really look at the Greek, the 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 oh my goodness, not the Greek word, but the base word of this, it's the word new, yada. And God, this whole plan of salvation and him giving us his word is so that he can be in an intimate, loving relationship with us. You know, you hear people say it's not about religion. It's about relationship. He wants intimacy with us. And he even gives us a picture of that in marriage on this side of eternity. But that's what he's doing. He's teaching us what this intimacy is. He is known as Um, The groom, the bridegroom, and the church is known as the bride, and he wants to know us intimately. So for those he foreknew or those he knew intimately, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That word predestined is referring to God's plan from the beginning that those who would come in that intimate relationship with him would be made like him through a spiritual rebirth. Another way to say it is God selected beforehand the goal in which he would move believers towards the likeness of him. So this really isn't about escape from hell. This is about bringing us, making us a new creation so that we can be in right standing with him and be with him for all eternity. It's so much more than escape from hell. For those that are called, the definition of this is um, basically that God opens our hearts, our ears, our eyes, to see and to know him. We experience that when we study Abraham and he has been mentioned here before. He was a pagan that lived in Mesopotamia. He was from Ur of the Chaldeans. He worshiped false gods. And one day, the one true living God, the creator of the universe, speaks to him, opens his ears, opens his mind, opens his heart, and he willingly obeys We see the same thing with the author of this book, Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He believed that Jesus was a false messiah. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus opens his eyes. And so he has this experience with the Savior and he chooses to chase after him. God is calling all of us. Every person has an experience with him. We've even talked about so many, so many Muslims right now, especially in Iran, are coming to know Christ through angels visiting them or just crazy stories of God revealing Himself through just things that He can use around them, supernatural ways. God will call us, and it's up to those, of, it's up to us to choose Him. And then there's justification for those who do choose him. That's where we're in a court of law and we're declared not guilty. The most beautiful thing that happens with justification is now we're given the gift of worth. See, we're clothed in Christ. That's how Paul describes this. At salvation, we put on Christ. And because Christ is worthy, now we are worthy. And then we will be glorified. That's the final stage of our salvation. But notice all of these things are past tense because it was finished. It was completed at the cross. God lives outside of space and time. We live within space and time. So we haven't gotten there yet, but that work has been completed. So I... Just hope and pray that some of this has made more sense. He has told us this time and time again, and hopefully it is sinking into all of our hearts where we can understand the work of the cross in a little bit deeper way. But I want to end this session with just reading the last segment of this. It's called The Believer's Triumph in My Bible, and I just think it is so beautiful, and there's really no explanation needed. It's just, you just sit in His goodness. And Paul says, what are we to say about these things, all these things that we've been talking about? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this is a good reminder that it's not actually like sin that's against us. There's, it's a who. There is a powerful force out there that wants mankind to fall into death. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Did he not even spare his own son, but offered him up for all How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? No one can accuse us because God is the sovereign judge and we have been declared not guilty. So who can bring this accusation? God is the one that justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Well, Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, because of you, we were being put to death all the day long, and we are counted as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. For I am persuaded, uh, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, high Death or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember to be in Jesus is through our faith, and through our faith, He is in us through the Holy Spirit. So, this is just a bunch of goodness that is wrapped up in this one long chapter. I hope I made this clear and I hope this records. Y'all pray for me. I'm about to hit stop and I pray that it stops. I'll we'll pick up in chapter nine next week. I'll see you then. Oh, also, I just wanted to say if you have on your heart to to donate to becoming a Bible nerd, you can go to our website and click on the give tab. And there's lots of things that we're working for in the year 2020. Um, it's so much more than a podcast. This is a ministry that we will offer ladies retreats, and we really want to, people to find freedom and to know their identity in Christ, so that they can use the gifts that God's placed in them. Because even if you have this crazy past, and even if If you've done all these things to mess up, God uses your testimony and how he's transformed you to bring others to him. So we want ladies to come to this retreat, get set free, get to know um, that they do get to live a life of no condemnation. And then now, hey, what are my gifts and how can I use them? Um, there's going to be co-ed gatherings that we have planned and we'll be posting about that. Young adult events, mission trips, study trips, and and really so much more. Um, another huge thing is we need a studio because not only for this podcast with the, um, I'm in my living room and you could hear different things um we are wanting to add different podcasts to the uh, ministry and so we really do need a studio and so anything that you give it's going to all of these things and uh, my my big goal is to send one particular person on a study trip fully paid and i would just love it so you can click on any of those things on those tabs and we thank you it's all um tax deductible And so we thank you for that. We thank you for your prayers. And we thank you for following along with us. We'll see you next week and happy reading.